Welcome back to the Taiku Podcast, where we talk about all things sports anime. Inky's here. Hi. We're here to talk about uh, something that you have written about no less than uh, 17 or so times. Yes. Give or take. We were talking about Chihaya Furu. Uh, but before that, the the new season is upon us. You just wrote up your three-episode test for any gamers. So uh, what are you watching? What's good? Uh, a little too much. A little, little too many surprising things. Like butt-battling bimbos on balanced platforms on pool surfaces. Uh, <laughs> I speak of... I speak of the only anime of the season with eight exclamation points after its title, <laughs> which is, uh, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, Keijo? Kaijo? I think. Keijo? Yeah. Um, it's completely stupid and, like, the best stupidity this season has to offer. <laughs> it is much better than I thought it would be. I'm uh, kind of disappointed at how good I am finding it being. But we're going to be podcasting about that, so we can't talk about it too much. Right. Um, also digging is that the last witch at least as far as the third episode I'm hearing the fourth episode does something that's a little divisive is it the fourth one that just came out today I think so okay or not today yesterday yeah but yeah I just watched that um it was not terrible like the things that are still good about Izekta are still there but then there are, like, random boob grabbing and. Oh. And Gertuga's fan service. Like, there's a bath scene for three or four minutes. Seriously? Yep. <laughs> now, why didn't Lelouch have that? I don't know. Or did Lelouch have that? I can't even remember at this point. It's been uh, so long. It might have. Or maybe that was a different time and they just didn't hear that. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of gratuitous fan service, I'm also watching Flip Flappers, <clears> which is that. when episode two. Mm. Yeah, there was there was something at the at the end of episode two that really sounded promising to me, like they were actually just going to go balls into this concept of, you know, basically putting its two main characters into imagination land and just sort of letting the animation run amok around the characters and you know, their interactions with it. And I was like, oh, cool, this is going to be awesome. And episode three actually kind of starts to go down that, that path. And I was like, okay, and if you if you keep making it interesting enough, I'll keep watching. Unfortunately, there's like, like a lot more uncomfortable camera angles and stuff like that in episode three than there were in the previous two. There were already a lot in the previous two as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's why I said in my, in my write-up on animagamers.com, <laughs> it was it was kind of like a butthole surfers concert where they're they're projecting the eyeball surgery on top of strippers while the bands play, and it's like you kind of are enticed, but you also recognize the 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 horror and you want to look away, but you know there's something awesome happening, and yeah, so there's that. There's also scorching ping pong girls, which I'm watching for your podcast, <laughs> and watch a lot of things for for me. Oh man, it's it's horrible because I'm actually beginning to like it. Um, less, I, well, I like the first two episodes, and then it kind of degrades towards the end of the third because it has to for plot reasons. Yeah, and it's it's never going to be the the show I want it to be. I want it to be moody and dark, and these are moe ping pong girls, 
So, of course, it's going to go the team route and, you know, the whole, the, you know, climbing the ladder of the tournaments and such. But I'd rather they just be focusing on that one girl, the, the ace who's being encroached upon by this new talent and study her descent into madness. This new upstart whose entire character is, I'm good at ping pong, but I don't really recognize it myself. Exactly. Or she'll never admit admit to it. She just likes to have fun. And she inspires the Doki Doki and everyone who's playing who plays her. Um, and last, and like I don't know why, but I'm watching all sports shows this this season, which is incredible for me. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you, Corey. <laughs> Uh, and Yuri on Ice, which you know everyone should watch because it's Sayu Yamamoto. It's very, uh, very good. Yeah, it really is. And I have an essay in the works on body image portrayal in the first episode, um, which I think Alex Osborne, who just did his three episode test, pointed out uh, it resolves body issues a little too quickly. But it, again, that's not where the focus of the series is. Um, Still, I mean, it's missed opportunity, which is a little disappointing. But yeah. the entire the entire show is, you know, really good. Maybe you could go back there. Could be. I could imagine that, it, like him losing a big match and then uh, relapsing into being larger than he could for doing the ice skating that he needs to. Yeah, for those of you who don't know what Yuri on Ice is, it's a bunch of pretty boy skating, uh, pretty boy figure skaters. Yes. Who are doing ridiculous figure skating things, by my understanding. Yeah, I have no concept of what everything... Like, I remember the term triple axle from, like, a Commodore 64 Winter Olympics game. <laughs> and I played when I was, like, six. Uh, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I actually still hold the best... As, as wonderfully as it's animated, I still hold... Um, the Pentultimate episode of Death Parade to be way better um, in terms of you know fluid animation and feeling in that in that dance on um, that frictionless dance uh, just absolutely beautiful. But this this is beautiful too. It really is a lot of effort goes into it. It's the Sayo Yamamoto kind of beautiful. Mm. She brings a certain visual flair. But, uh, yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of shorts this season, too. Um, and I think out of all of them, my two favorites are 2B Hero and uh, Ninja Girl and Samurai Master. You're watching Nyanbo? I'm watching Nyanbo. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. It's great. So adorable. <clears throat> what about you? What are you watching this season? Um, besides what you listed... I've got Sound Euphonium on the docket. How does that measure up to the first season? Uh, so far, they are preparing for their competition. Um, and also, I don't remember the first season super well. But I remember it enough that there is not as much going on in this season than there was in the first season yet. But I think we'll get there. Uh, you know what I'm not watching is The Great Passage, Amazon. Ah, uh, damn you, Amazon. Dropping the ball. Everyone wanted Dictionary making anime. And none of us get it. No. Well, people all over the world, except for us, get it. Now we know what the rest of the world normally feels like. <laughs> um, no, but besides 
Sagifonium, I th think. Uh, March comes in like a lion is very good. Are you watching that one? Uh, no, I, I I was actually really interested, um, and it sounds wonderful, but I'm watching way too much this season. That I've got like 14 shows I'm watching. Yeah, um, and granted, like seven of them are shorts, but still, that's you, a lot. You ever watch Honey and Clover? I started to. I I it's on hold just because I can never fit it. Seem to fit it in, or be in the mood for it and mm -hmm. fit it in at the same time. Yeah. Um, this is from the same mangaka as Honey and Clover. Hmm. Uh, it has the like, same kind of art style that the anime had. Um, but it is about this kid who plays Shogi. Um, which I'm sure will be a much smaller plot point as the show goes along and it's already pretty small. I heard the, uh, the matches are kind of slow paced and not really the focal point. No, not at all. Uh, I think they've had one full shogi game, and it took like three minutes. <laughs> Supposed to Kaiji, where one match lasts like twenty volumes. <laughs> uh, Poco's Ugon World is also very good. Uh, I like to call it Paco though because of the velvet on your ground. Nice. Um, but that's another one like uh, Barakamon and Bunny Drop, where it's this this older person who does not have any kids, who suddenly finds himself taking care of uh, a child figure. Except in the case of Poco, it is a tendency. Is it as cute as Barakamon uh, and uh, Bunny Drop? Like, how, how's the portrayal of the little kid in that? Is it, like, as dead on? Is it voiced by uh, an actual small child? I don't know. The kid doesn't say much, just because uh, the kid is a tanuki. And he's learning language. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so, when he doesn't know the tanuki yet, he says, What's your name? My name is Sota. And then the kid just repeat Sota over and over again. And he's like, no, that's that's my name. What's your name? <laughs> Does someone bring him a Coke? Not yet. Maybe they couldn't get the rights. Um, what else am I watching? Kiss Him, Not Me is very good. Uh, that's enough. Check out. Yeah, the voice, like, it does this, because uh, she has, she begins the series being a little overweight, and then uh, she doesn't eat for a week and becomes anime girl skinny, which is of course how it works. But when she is overweight, she has like a fat person voice, which is super, super bothersome. It's kind of weird, uh, weird point to make with your voice acting. Yeah, like I don't know, I don't think your voice is going to change that much if you lose or gain weight. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, oh, Drifters is very good. You're watching that too, right? No, it looked it looked pretty, um, but I, again, like just no time. I thought you totally wrote about it. No. Well, uh, that's very good. It's another Coco Hirano. It's um, people going back in time, not going back in time, being thrust to a different dimension. Historic figures like Oda Nobunaga, of course, and 
someone else, like I forget, who are in some sort of weird world where elf people are lower than regular people and they're being trampled upon like serfs. Uh, not watching much else beside that, though. Not much else beside like 20 anime. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on. Oh, have you watched uh, the HBO series Insecure? Uh, no, I caught the end of episode one, and I remember laughing a lot. And I was like, okay, I've got to go back and watch this. But uh, I, I have yet to do that, because I, I wanted to catch up on Atlanta first. Um. And I've also been watching Westworld, and <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just too much goddamn TV right now. Yeah. I've watched a couple episodes of Atlanta, and I've watched the pilot for Insecure. Uh, Insecure is very good. It's, uh, it's like girls, but it actually recognizes that there are more than white people in the world. <gasps> I know. It's crazy. So what I actually liked about Westworld when I saw the premiere was just the fact that I think it begins with non-white characters. Nice. And yeah, it's like, oh, good. Like this, this is this is solid. And you know, it wasn't in your face, like, oh, hey, we have a diverse cast, sort of thing. It's just, it's like, oh, these are characters. This is how the world works. There's more exactly. than white people. Exactly. Um, have you heard of the ABC comedy Speechless? No. It is about this family. Um, the there are parents, then two sons and a daughter. The daughter was actually in The Walking Dead as uh, that girl who wanted to believe that the undead people were uh, were like still alive, quote-unquote, and had souls and stuff. Hmm. Um, but anyway, it's about the, the one son who has cerebral palsy, and the family is just trying to uh, to get him into a situation where he's comfortable and uh, gives him the best opportunities to succeed in education. But this is very much at the sacrifice of the other two children. Hmm. Uh, but it's a comedy. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Minnie Driver is the mom. And she is, like, super pushy. She tries to make sure that her son, JJ, does not feel left out of anything. Uh, but she does so through increasingly comical manner- matters. Um, like, I think the the show opens with them driving to a, like, pancake shop or something because they have a coupon. And they pull into the handicap spot, and there's this old lady who's, like, yelling at them, being like, Oh, now I have to walk this far because uh, you guys felt like parking the handicap spot, even though you totally can walk just fine. And uh, pulls out to the trunk where JJ comes out of the ramp, and she awkwardly drives away. So he holds up his entire hand, and the mom is like, "That's the finger. We're working on it." <laughs> That's excellent. And that just sets the tone for the rest of the show. That's pretty perfect. Yeah. It's very good. <clears throat> uh, but anyway. You know what else is pretty good? Chihaya Fugu? No, that's great. 
Um, yes, Chihayafuru. Take a short break, and then we'll jump straight into Chihayafuru. talk about Kihayafuru. Uh, this show is like three years old now, right? A little bit older. That's uh, kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's like five years old. Wow. Yeah. That's, that seems way too long, especially given like how many anime series come out every, every quarter. Yeah. I have watched... We have watched so many things in between first watching Kihayafuru and now. And yet it seems like we have not watched anything greater than Kihayafuru since. <laughs> Which is a lie, but... Yeah. Kihayafuru is very good, but there have been a couple better things. Just a couple. Yeah. Um, so do you want to give us the the breakdown? What is, what is Kihayafuru? Why do we like it so much? Oh, man. Well, let's 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 assume not everyone has watched Chiaifuru because it is five years old. So there are people who have entered into this wonderful appreciation of you know limited animated cartoons from Japan, uh, and you know not discovered a series that revolves around uh, uh, a girl who was pretty much passionless as a kid who latched on her sister's fame as a model as you know something to adore and called it her own dream without ever really thinking, you know, that's a dead-end path, um, and who discovers her own passion for um, playing a certain card game based around classic poetry by coming to the defense of uh, this kid who happened to bring a paper with her sister's picture in it one day. Um, it's, it's really just a, a lovely series about emotion and being human and growing uh, together and alone. That's why we love it. Because it's about us. So true. So true. Um, so this the series actually begins um, in the present day, but it quickly flashes back to when they're in sixth grade. So three years ago from the start of the show. Uh, which I always thought was a very interesting narrative choice because uh, the, the three years ago part gives us a lot of context for the current part without really interrupting the narrative in a huge way since the narrative hadn't really started yet at that point. It gives you so much background in the characters and just really accelerates your insight into their depth and why it's going to be important a little further on. I don't know if uh, I would like the show as much without that flashback. Uh, it's totally necessary. And that differs from the manga, I'm told. The manga has the flashback a little later. Yeah, when I read the first two bilingual volumes, I remember that. So I think it did dip into the flashback, but it didn't finish it. And it's it's really that the transition is lovely. 
because it all it all starts with you know it, it's kind of cliche too. It's done with a, a, a falling Sakura pedal, um, and it ends with a falling Sakura pedal. But it's seamless. It is absolutely bloody seamless, and it only not not only knocks the viewer for like a loop and just goes, oh wow, okay, well we're going back now. When it comes when it brings you back into the present day. You have you're just carrying all this intense emotion of these these three young kids, it's, uh, Chihaya Yase, Taichi Mashima, and uh, Wata Arata, Arata Wataya, um, and you know if somehow over three or over three or four episodes, it just manages to really give you the essence of these kids and the passion behind their friendship and their uh, how they came to be come friends and why the game that unified them is so important and that carries a lot of weight going forward because that's you know the importance of the game to them the game is called karuta and the you know karuta unites these people to the point where you know all their passions are invested in it because it unifies them he's the game that brought them together through circumstance because the school happened to be playing the game at the time in a tournament. Um, and Daichi, who always has to be the best at everything, dictated by his mom, has memorized the 100 poems while only one other person in the class has, which is Arika. And uh, challenges Arika to... Uh, to the championship in this tournament because they know they'll meet eventually because he is jealous but he doesn't really know it yet that Arata is taking Chihaya's attention. Yeah, I love how I love how you know it's it's obvious but it's not um, or a lot more a lot less obvious than other series the the whole love triangle thing because um, you know you see a very immature uh, Tai Chi who's obviously upset at that attention being taken away from him. And you know why, but you know also know he doesn't really fully understand why yet. Yeah, because he's too young. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, Arata's just really happy to have a friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, uh, Arata has just moved from Fukui to Tokyo, and uh, everyone in the class is kind of making fun of his accent. But they aren't, they aren't doing it maliciously, they're just doing it stupidly because you're in 6th grade. Mm. Well, there's some maliciousness there. I mean, young kids are malicious beings. They're just not intentionally malicious. Right, right. They don't, they don't have any bad intent there. They don't want to, uh, they don't want to oust Arata in, in the class as someone who has the weird accent and also, like, not ever try to be friends with him. That's not the goal. To get laughs. Yeah. Like really just to sort of be the own you're there to be the star of the classroom. Yeah. After after you get all the emotional development of these kids, you're sent into, you know, training and recruitment a la usual sports anime. Um and it's kind of novel because this is such a niche sport. It's not like trying to get people to come out for the basketball club, um, or the hockey club, or whatever. This is a this is a club based around a game that's played on New Year's as sort of this uh, 
It's played it's played once a year, basically just for tradition reasons, uh, traditional reasons, and uh, yeah, it's, no one gives it great thought except for the people who pretty much dedicate their lives to memorizing poetry so they can hit a card faster than another person in you know this niche sport where you have to climb the ranks from I think class F or class E class up to class E up to class A and then you earn the right to challenge the master the person who has bested everyone else in all competitions uh, by proxy it's just you know, watching someone with such a big passion trying to recruit people really gets to me because it's just, you know, underdog of underdogs. <laughs> please, please come to our club where we have three people. We need five people, and it's going to take us, like, as many episodes to find two. <laughs> and there's no there's no defining characteristic of a Karta player. Like, you can't, you can't just point out the tall guy and be like, that guy would be good to play Karta. That's a really good point, actually. I like that. Uh, they, um, you know, that you have amongst the key cast. Once they're fully assembled, you have um, the geek uh, Destomo, or uh, what's his what's his actual name? Komono. Komono. Yeah. Um, he's the 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 second best in the class. He's uh, the geek who's always studying the bookworm, um, and he joins the club basically because you know. Uh, he realizes he can learn more uh, and learn to be sort of human at the same time. He's sort of a, a Mishima worshiper in the fact that Mishima is first in his class. So, of course, he looks up to him because of the grades, but he also has, you know, all these other things going. He has, you know, he's friends with one of the most beautiful, although in vain, beauties in the school. Uh, he's, you know, athletic. He's popular. Um, and he can't really fully comprehend how he's doing that. So he can actually learn that through being in that club. He has the charisma that Komano was never never really able to nurture. Mm. And then there's uh, Nishida, who's you know a bit portly. Uh, he actually is drawn with an upturned sort of piggish nose. Um, but he's never shamed for it. It's, uh, he actually has a very aggressive playing style. He's very quick. Um, even in his first match after not playing for so many years, uh, he's actually picked up tennis in the meantime. Um, he's, he's, he's quick. No one ever references his, his body style except for his nickname of Porky. Which is, which is uh, Nikuman in the Japanese, which is pork bun, which what he which is what he happened to be eating at the time that Chiaya found him, and also what he wanted when they played him the first time when they were kids. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then you have you know the the tall, slender, thin people who are uh, Chihaya, Taichi, and Arata. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all pretty much twigs, but fast twigs. Oh, and of course, Kanade course how could you forget i just i was just keeping her for myself uh, she she's uh she's slight she has a, a a slower mentality because she internalizes the poems involved in this game she doesn't just use her reflexes for speed on uh syllables and listening for first lines she's one who actually cares about what the poems mean as opposed to just listening for their syllab- syllabic value uh in the game and probably one of the top heavier characters in the show. Um, although they never really 
make much of that, at least in the first season. No, uh, there is a reference to it in the first episode of the second season, which I watched just now. You just couldn't help yourself, could you? Uh, well, I was eating dinner, and I didn't want to sit around watching nothing. <laughs> but I also didn't want to, like, watch Tiger Mask and then forget what I was thinking about with Shihai Furu. Hmm. No, but the, the range of body types is awesome. Um, and there's actually the queen, too. Although that's a bit of fat shaming for, like, a good half episode. Um, yeah. But still, like, she wins her match. To, whoa, spoilers. <laughs> uh, she, she's more than a capable player, despite how heavy she is, we'll just say. Uh, but it does recognize an adjustment that needs to be made if you ever, in any sport, if you ever uh, have a dramatic change in your body type. So, why why do you love watching this series? It's been it's been five years. The the fan base, uh, those who've been watching it since season one, those who've been drawn into it and uh, learned to love it along with the rest of us since then. We've all been clamoring for this to come out, and finally, uh, about a month ago, Sentai announced that they finally licensed the show. And we all went nuts. Yep. <laughs> people from Europe, people who are from Europe, were commenting how it finally got licensed over for North America, and we were going apeshit. <laughs> uh, so, why is it that the the, the fan base for the show is so enthused after five years? Uh, the show has uh, solidified itself within the anti-Twitter zeitgeist, I think. Um, it, is, it is outside of that context. It is a very, very good show that, uh, that shows the growth of five very distinct characters. Uh, anywhere from really, really good Akarta to complete beginners and then their growth to wherever they end up at the end of the first season, because they're obviously not all going to end up at the same place. Um, but they all have their own issues, they all have their own problems in and outside of Kakuta, and we all uh, latch on to those because the execution is so strong there. Like, um, just, just Tai Chi... He has this inferiority complex, even though he is uh, the best at sports, the best at school, the best at basically anything else he does. Um, but anytime he is remotely challenged, he either gives up or cheeks to win, which is demonstrated in that flashback when he steals Arctic's glasses. Mm. And that's just one character through, like, five episodes where uh where do you grasp on to Oe Kanage in in her growth and her character arc? I think what really hit me was towards the end of the series because from the start she's just kind of this classic lit nerd um she's in the archery club just because. I guess it was something she could do, or she, you know, it was something that she was accepted into and because went with. She wanted to wear the hakama. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she, her family runs a, a 
classic or a, a formal dress shop. And, uh, yeah, that was one of the few clubs that actually wore formal attire. Um, and her, her insistence upon joining the Karuta club was, or her one caveat was, uh, you know, that they have to wear, uh, a comma while playing Karuta. And, uh, or at least in matches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. But, um, no, as, as, as she grows and as she, you know, learns to accept the game for the game and it learns sort of how to different, differentiate gameplay and appreciation of the poems and how they fit into the game, um, that they made that fit by making her want to be a reader, I thought was like the best thing. And that only happens in the very last episode, but it wasn't, it it couldn't have been possible without the entire season that preceded it. And I love how intricately this, the series builds each character by each loss, by each win, by each team loss, by each team win, um, by each individual setback and accomplishment and, you know, inside and outside of the, the, the game area. Yeah. It's, it's just a, a wonderful study of interpersonal relationships and inspirations. And maybe that's why everyone kind of grasps onto this and loves it because it's all about community. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's actually talk about that first. Uh, the first tournament they're in as a team. Um, so they're, they're playing Karta, uh, in the high school tournament, and it is five on five teams. Um, so the Mizusawa, their school, they only have five members, but the, uh, the main team they're, they're rivaling against is Hokuo, who has several more than five. And they're the defending champs. Right. Um, but on that journey, they realize that, uh, Kana and Komano don't really have the experience to get any wins. Hold on, you did not pronounce her name right. Did I not? It's Kanade. Kanade. What did I say? Kana. Oh. You can't, you can't shorten her name. You don't have that privilege yet. (laughs) (laughs) Is that only you and the other members of the club? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> this is waifu behavior, Inc. She's the only one I claim. <laughs> um So those those two don't really have the experience to win any games, and they realize this when uh Nishiga basically says, Let's just pit those two against the best player the other team has. Because that way, none of us have to play the best player. And we can get wins easier. Uh, so this riles up Kalmano, who, uh, who throughout his entire life has worked super, super hard to get the grades that he gets, to be the top, or now near the top, since Taichi exists, of his class. Um, and he is told that no matter how hard he works, He's going to be pitted against the best guy on the other team so that their team can win. And that's not alright with him because he has individual accomplishments that he wants to make. And that's actually an important parallel um, that I only realized watching the second time through. 
Um, in the very beginning, when they recruit him, they have uh, Chihaya acting as captain, and she demands that the lower the the newcomers play the best, just as she had played uh, Arata, um, who took no mercy on Chihaya when they first played, and. She saw this as the training technique because you don't learn by facing off the, uh, against those who are the same level. You learn from facing off against those who have more skill than you. And that was a loving, nurturing sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, strong love. Uh, loving, nurturing tough in love, the way tough that love. like you're shoving their facing in the dirt and being like, get better at Karata right now. Well, no, no, it's tough love. It's tough yeah. love. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm, I'm not taking these on you, but I'm going to encourage you through this. And then, you know, but in that tournament, when, you know, Stomo said, you know, saw, you know, what stakes were there, they were, you know, on their way to nationals, or this was the gateway to nationals champion, but well, the big, the big times. <laughs> the Omi Jingo uh, tournament. Omi Jingo tournament, yes. Um, when he saw that suddenly, this loving, nurturing face-off against the best was being paralleled to, okay, now you're the sacrifice because you're the lowest ranked. That's where, like you said, you know, all his hard work it suddenly just seemed like it was for naught and it was unimportant. And you could really see that in his temper tantrum. And they went through this grueling training camp together. Uh, even if it was only for one night, they were almost dead by the end of the night just through what they went through. What, they were doing like 17 matches? Uh, I think her goal was 15 by the end of the weekend, which was over two days. Mm. That is a lot. Speaking of matches, like, honestly, aside from the anime, if you go to YouTube and you type in Karuta and watch some of the real-life matches, the you'll realize just how much... Um, the tension isn't exaggerated. Uh, it's not as, you know, nail-biting as the anime is, because the anime has the benefits of certain dramatic pauses, and it can control everything, so... We're also much uh, more invested into those characters than we are into random Karuta people we see on YouTube. That too. Uh, but you will see, you know, the speed and the intensity... Uh, of each call and each swipe, uh, it's quite impressive. And if you watch that and then return to the series, you can get a whole new appreciation for you know what went into the animation behind the matches, and you know in turn what these characters to whom we are so attached feel or must be feeling, or you know are being told to make us feel that they are feeling. Yeah, it's all about the feels. <laughs> Um, oh, we we did gloss over very quickly uh, what went after what what happened after the training camp, which was actually we glossed over a couple things. Um, There's so many things to gloss over, though. I know. Kihaya Fukui is so rich in uh, content that like we can get into a flow and talk about stuff, but then we're missing so much other stuff. Uh, um, anyway. So we what was it that you wanted to bring up? The the first thing is um, once we get back to the present day, they have not seen Agatha for three years now, but they want to again. Um, 
So they take a day trip to Fukui to see him when they realize that he has been involved in a freak Karuta accident and he's no longer able to play Karuta. (laughs) That was probably the best way of avoiding spoilers I think you could have done. (laughs) Well, you know it was Karuta accident. You know it's gonna happen. They went their separate ways. Um, Everyone except for Chihaya fell out of Karuta. Uh, Taichi because he went to his prestigious magnate school or whatever, and Arata had his stuff going on. Um, well, Arata, Arata moved away. Yes, he moved away because his grandfather um, got a little worse for wear than he was, so his parents and him needed to go take care of him. Yeah, and there's there's situations stemming from that which leads to dramatic er, tension between Chihaya and Arata that extend Mishima and they're all inter, inter, oh, interlinked and uh, it's nice that it's not all the same tensions it's nice that it's individualized tensions because the way they're woven just really binds things together in a lot of fun ways yeah. fun if you're a sadist <laughs> Uh, so, Taichi's jealousness is coming up yet again. Um, he is helping Chihaya get to Arata, despite the fact that, uh, he knows that he will probably lose this if it comes face to face. And Chihaya is, uh, finally as good in terms of level as Arata, but because they're both in A-class now, but um, she's not seen him for so long, so she wants to see the physical form of the person that gave her this huge interest in Karuta. Was she in A-class by then? Yeah. Yeah. She uh, she got into A-class, and she immediately called Arata, to which she said, please do not call this number again. I gave up on Karuta. Hmm. I love that. It was, it was, you know, especially, I mean, it's, it's, it's so heartbreaking because you consider the only reason she kept after playing Karuto was to rejoin this, you know, trio of friends, Mm -hmm. um, that she was part of and, you know, him hanging up that phone so coldly was just like the damning of a dream. And that dream was simply friendship. Yeah. What she is trying what she has been trying to achieve for this past three years is suddenly gone with a, like, two-sentence conversation. It's so good. But, I mean, that is the heart of the series. The heart of the series is the heart of the cards. The heart (laughs) of the cards is being able to say one line, as is tradition in, or, you know, as tradition in Japanese literature, you say one line from one poem, and you're supposed to know that entire meaning of that entire poem, what it means, the historical references, you know, that that emotion that it carries from those. And the series does it so damn well for, for everything. Like, sure, there, there are lines dropped from, from poems here and there, but really it does the same thing with dialogue and bits of animation all throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Even with the episode titles. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I love... I love how uh, they'll be thinking about something, they're in the frame of mind, 
of the context of the plot of the anime, and then a card is called, which is uh, relating exactly to that thing. This happens several times. I'm like, oh, I love this every time. <laughs> yeah, I actually picked up on it in the flashback. Uh, no, 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 flashback. On that on that train trip, uh, they take to uh, Arata after the the hang up. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a moment where this neighborhood, uh, you assume childhood friend of Arata's, um, carries the the card cards that they had spilled at his house, and she like th- throws them at Shihaya, and they land all over the the muddy road, and a few in a puddle. Which I was like screaming at. I was like, "You're ruining the cards!" <laughs> but you know, one is face up, and while most of them are face down, and the you know uh, Sentai, not Sentai, um, Crunchyroll wisely uh, translated the the poem on screen for you for the uh, uh, viewers, and it was so relevant to the situation. I was like, "This is perfect. This is bloody perfect. This is just visual application." You're so good. Every time you're so good. Um, so what about the team play? Because there's 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 individual growth, and I mean, we, I think we've covered the the fact that this is largely a team building exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and they advance to nationals. Uh, they do make it, and part of what makes this a fantastic second watch is that even though you know the outcome of all the matches, and during the first during the first watch. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen because important characters lose matches. They don't advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes several times. Uh, and then sometimes they win despite circumstance, and which is wonderful. Uh, sometimes they win because of overwhelming circumstance uh, in their favor, and you expect it. But there's this whole there's this whole not knowing of the outcomes in the first watch. In the second watch, you know everything that's going to happen, and you still fall into gripping the the sides of your seats with your nails and like going, God, I know what's going to happen, but still, what the hell? <laughs> You're at the edge of the seat, anticipating the character drama that is going on because that is still the gripping thing. It really is. It's masterful. But after they win the match, after they win I've- the team match. Yeah, after they win their team match, they they go to individuals, and there's lessons to be learned there on all sides and all forms. But ultimately, after all the fanfare, after those who are going to rank up or not rank up have you know played their matches, what I love most is when they come together to watch the master uh, and queen matches, because they come together. To watch the master and queen matches. Take his room. Mm. Um. Oh, before that though, we've we've skipped the uh, most important part of the series, or at least my favorite moment of the series. Which what I, was that? Uh, when after they win the team match, the, the they uh, Chihaya goes home. She sees the scrapbooks that her dad has made of her sister, which are so plentiful. But she sees one one there, that is Shihaya's scrapbook. The one that says uh, her team has won the uh, the tournament. 
and this is like the first accomplishment that she's made that's in the paper and her dad is super proud of this that is that is a wonderful moment and to get that you really need to understand the focus of uh chai's family on her sister um because her sister is you know this model who is vowed to you know pay the mortgage when she makes it rich and all this and the you know she doesn't get the fact that her family is just legitimately proud of her for doing whatever mm-hmm. um and Jihai is you know now suffering under the shadow which she once adored and her father's scrapbooking of her accomplishments is you know huge huge when you when you see that single volume next to her you know sister's eight and it's not just the clipping of the tournament as he's flip as she flips back there's you know not a lot but there's you know clippings of her you know wearing the hakama for always family's guide which was only made possible because of her card club um you know there's the fact that she's being this beauty and used for promotion but there's also that element of achievement that's furthered by that uh achievement in the tournament so it's her surpassing her sister it's like i'm not only modeling i'm achieving it's especially more um it's especially such a great moment because every other time that she's tried to say that she's had this character to accomplishment, she is being overshadowed by something that her sister is doing. Like when she wins the tournament in sixth grade, she calls and says, hey, there's this character to tournament. But her mom's like, wait, there's this agent here for your sister. We need to hang up right now. Mm. So this is finally her... Her realizing that her parents also recognize her. So crushing. So, so awesome. (laughs) Every time I think about it, I'm just like, (gasps) I cry a little. It was funny because I asked you when you were rewatching or I had, I had said like, I look forward to my, my own waterworks. Um, as I knew I was going to get sentimental as hell over this damn thing. Um, and, and you said you were watching it just, with a grin on your face the entire time. I was like, man, my chin is quivering. I'm sitting there leaking from both eyes. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Are you smiling? What are you smiling at? This series is torture. <laughs> I, I'm usually smiling because like, this is such a happy moment. Uh, but like I'm smile crying. So, tears of the clown. Yeah. I can, I can feel the tears coming, but also I'm, I'm smiling because like, she deserves this, and um, she's not gotten here without sacrifices of so much other stuff. Um, all right, but after the the win at the team tournament, what happens, Hank? Oh, you're asking the man with the worst memory in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I just marathoned the series for the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ah. I honestly don't remember exact sequences. Do fill me in. Uh, I was just reading Wikipedia and stalling while (laughs) (laughs) I figured out myself. Honestly, you will never forget this series when you watch it. It lives in you. But 
details, you know. There, there were moments like the the scrapbook moment and like their wins, like their losses, that will stick in, in your mind. But um, I am always fuzzy, no matter how much I love a series, on what order things happen. Especially when you watch like 20 series a quarter. Yeah. Um, uh, I Sorry, go ahead. No. I was just going to say, after the, after the tournament... They go to the Omijingo tournament, which is their nationals, their their Koshien. Um, they play in the first match, but it's sweltering hot, and they're wearing their Hakama still. So Chihaya just passes out uh, because it's so hot. But her uh, her Tagag, Arata, is also there, who stays with her until she wakes up again. Yeah, her waking up to him while in a daze and then sort of passing out again mm-hmm. it's utterly fantastic <laughs> it's like, are you a dream yes you are okay um it's worth noting at this point that uh chihaya has not really experienced any huge karuta losses yet uh she's experienced uh a couple personal blows from Arata hanging up the phone and then pushing her away from her house or pushing her away from his house. Uh, but she hasn't really lost a big Karakta match yet. Uh, She's come close. Yes. As such, but, she is due for a loss. Um, soon after this, the individual tournament begins, and um, she wins the first round pretty easily, but she is uh, thrust into the next round by the current queen, who is her age. Uh, no, there's one before that. Is there? Oh, wait, is it? Oh, no, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. All right. You're right. Um, where he plays the current queen. And this is her her first big, big loss. Um, she loses by 20, 20 cards, where you start with 25 each. Um, and the goal is to get down to zero. Right. Uh, she usually uh, falls straight asleep after matches, but this one she is um, she's wide awake. She's practicing on her swing compared to the queen's swing. She is uh, wondering what happened to lead her to this loss. Because and what do you find so fascinating about this match? Uh, well, you know, this is a um, this is a sports anime. Even though Kagurta is not the prototypical sport, it does follow these similar formulas where um, you are playing in a competitive thing and you win and you lose and you feel those wins and losses in the very core of your being. But there's also a fascination with her. Is The most wonderful thing about Chihaya's character is, you know, losses are felt... And they're devastating because of how they affect those around her. Uh, also because, you know, obviously there's some personal ego involvement there, but very little. Um, but the most amazing thing about her is the learning. And really that's spread across all the characters, but it's, it's sort of centralized in her. And it's the degree to which she analyzes and thinks and breaks down her own actions and those actions of uh, of those whom she's uh, played against to learn how to be better. And not only linear, linearly, but through, you know, parallel matches with her friends 
uh, in other individual matches. Mm-hmm. So after after this loss to the Queen, her her coach for so long says you need to stop taking cards with your speed. Uh, you need to learn uh, some more stuff about Karta before you can really take the next step. Because she has reached her peak the way she plays. She needs to change. Uh, so, in course, her immediate next match is against someone who plays which, with much more finesse than she does. Uh, this, uh, this kind of a flowery girl named Sakura Kanai who is a little older, she has some kegs uh, has a certain timing to take three and four syllable cards which Kiai has never realized because she just kind of slaps at the first card that comes to mind and hopes that it's correct <laughs> she leads to several faults yeah, and how, how she realizes that and how what method she takes to correct that is kind of cool I mean, it's it's just it's just a detail, really, but it, it shows what the series can do with details, because all Chihaya does to counteract this immediacy within her, her her reflex to swipe as soon as she hears the first syllable, and she's very keen. Her her hearing is very keen. Um, she has a terif- terrific game sense, as the uh, the show will tell you. Um, she just measures the notches on the tatami mat and she backs up, you know, three or four to sort of compensate for her speed. So she knows she's going to instinctively start to swipe, but she's giving her hand uh, enough time to sort of slow down for her head to kick in. And I love that little detail. And it's never, you know, really relayed directly uh, via dialogue. It's just, you know, Chihaya said, oh, maybe if I back up a little. But if you if you sit and you and if you really pick apart why she's doing it, you come to that conclusion, and that, that's a real strength of the show. Mm-hmm. It's just how much it doesn't spell out uh, gameplay technique and uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does spell out <laughs> strategy a lot, but... <laughs> Not when it comes to Chihaya, usually. She doesn't have that kind of internal monologue. That's left to the strategist... Uh, Komano or Taichi. Komano, usually. I mean, he's the one who's keeping 50,000 notebooks on every single uh, match. <laughs> so true. Um, so after, after she loses this match against uh, Sakura... Um, she goes to watch the Class D final between Komano and Kanage. Which is being held in parallel with the Class B match of Taichi and uh, uh, Porky. Nishia. Thank you. <laughs> He'll always be Porky. <laughs> Since Kihaya says their name so much, that's what resonates in my brain. Yeah. But it seems so weird to call them that in English. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'll say in my head, oh, yes, Nikomankun, but I don't want to say that out loud, because it sounds kind of weird. Anyway, um, 
he goes to watch the match between Komodo and Kanagai instead of the one against Taichi and Nishiga. I think because she is trying to learn from Karuta right now. Learn from other people's Karuta. And the kind that she is trying to learn from is more similar... Uh, Komodo and Kanagai play more similar than Taichi and Nishiga would. And which is much more dissimilar than uh, Chihaya to uh, Komodo and Kanada. Right. She wants to get this timing down. She doesn't want to play with a game instinct like Nishika, and she doesn't want to play with ridiculous memor- memorization like Daichi. So she ends up like completely ignoring her, you know, childhood friend, uh, who she's supposed to be supporting to get to Class A. Because that's the whole point, is her and Taichi are supposed to get to Class A so they can meet up with Arata at, you know, the championship and they can all play uh, and be there to support each other. But uh, she ends up focusing on, you know, personal growth, um, uh, observing how Kanade's uh, internalization of these poems actually helps her capture cards and how uh, Destomu's uh, intense analysis has, you know, let him form strategies that no one ever thought of uh, in their club mm-hmm. to sort of advance, even though he's sort of like the most technically inept member of that club. Mm-hmm. And he, both of those things drive her her capabilities through the roof. She's learning from the two people who have started cards of the earliest or the latest. Which shows what different kind of playing style they have. But you know, you know, of all the people Chihaya played, you know who I found the most infuriating? The little girl? No. She she was annoying, but she was like, you know, she's a little girl, so she's a, of course she's supposed to be annoying. No, it was the former queen. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. I, when, I, when I first watched this... I remember thinking, wow, that that's sort of bitchy. When I was re-watching this, I was like, holy, f- what the? I, w- I would not tolerate this for a second if I were any of the judges in that room. <laughs> and there's, like, really no judges in the room. There's only, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the fact that the former queen is one who would contest cards, any close card, to the point where, like, the opponent, other opponent, yeah. The opponent legitimately got the card, mm-hmm. but that just to be able to take it would start complaining and saying, oh, well, no, this is actually how I technically got the card because, you know, I did this movement, that movement, and this is right. And so she didn't actually get the card and she would just keep, you know, being Trump until <laughs> <laughs> until basically the, the reader of the match would go, OK, 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 just you got the card. Let's let's continue. <laughs> Or until the opponent says, let's just play the nice goddamn card. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, that that was the I, I did not remember how bloody annoying that opponent was. But GI still manages to learn from her. Because mm-hmm. she has the same kind of uh timing for three, four syllable cards that uh Chihaya does not. Mm-hmm. Uh so this this second half of the show is very much Chihaya uh, acting as a sponge to everyone else's karta and trying to learn as much as she can and grow as a karta player more than more than someone who just slaps cards away as fast as she can. She wants to be someone who uh, 
takes cards accurately and takes cards with the correct timing without committing too many faults. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, it's I mean, if you're just going to summarize the latter half of the series, yes, that's what it is. But it's so involving, and I really think it owes a lot to just the combination of the animation, the the storyboarding, honestly, because the show is nothing if you don't take into consideration these matches are all about a moment where a, a player takes a half a second swipe at a card. So there's tons of thought about strategy and feeling, uh, you know, just momentary uh, or their status, how how the heat is affecting them, how, you know, their, their mental condition is affecting them. There's all this going around, and it's all being relayed via voiceover, but it's... Still really engrossing just because you've seen what's been going on and now it's manifest in their playing style or, you know, lack thereof during a match and you're, you're drawn into how this is going to affect that swipe and you're waiting to see like, okay, she's mentally disturbed. She's overheated. Is she still going to be able to make that card? <laughs> And it's stupid. <laughs> it's really, really stupid. Like, you should not be this concerned about it, but you are, and you are no matter how many times you watch the show. How is the Hayafuru? Ah. It's insane. We gotta talk about the art. Uh. Start us off. Hmm. So we gotta talk about the art. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. If, if you, if you've watched Kaiji, if you watch Akagi, um, this is very much the same sort of thing. It's, uh, animation production is done by Madhouse. Uh, Masao Mariyama is, uh, listed as creative director. And, oh my god. Sincerely, like, the amount to which these characters pontificate and, uh, sort of just visualize possible moves is amazing. You get uh, scenes where cards are lifted up and rotating around the characters. You get scenes where you're looking up through the floor- floorboards at the backsides of char- uh, cards which you cannot see through that the characters are looking down upon and can see. Um, it's sort of a dramatic tension but without um, dialogue. It's the visual connectivity between the character and the card, which you are not privy to, and that lends to that sort of drama of attention before the physical swipe. Like, all this comes together to just make each match intense and excruciating and draw you in time after time, because you're not going to remember the minutiae of each match. You're just going to remember the outcome. Um... And really, what draws you into each match is that minutia and all the effort that Madhouse has put into camera angles and character involvement and the, you know, placement of cards and hands and body weight. It all comes together to this just 
uber realistic yet hyper fictional portrayal of this you know very real game that's just been blown out of proportion like giving the cards a scenery or a color to go along with the poem or hmm. uh when Chihai is trying to do things more accurately she says she needs to move through it like water uh so like for a couple scenes it's completely underwater Chihaya is both uh, drowning under the pressure to get better, uh, the pressure to be as good as she remembers Arata being. Um, she doesn't know what to do, but also she wants to move as swiftly as the water does through through the riverbank. You know what I kind of love? Um, you know, the, this is this is an anime that premiered in 2011. And uh, Your Lie in April, which was last year, year before maybe, yeah, last year. Uh, also used a metaphor of uh, a, a, a person in a uh, competition sort of visualizing himself underwater, uh, but there the water was uh, hindering. It was a thing that took away the voice of his own instrument and himself. Um, here in Chiaifuru, it's a very fluid thing. Motion is related to water and something that's wholly natural and, you know, basically a human body component. Uh, and, you know, it uses that uh, to a great deal. And it's just something utterly lovely. The, you know, the visualization, visualizations, like Corey said. Yeah. Uh, have you ever read the some of the philosophies of Bruce Lee? No, I have not. Uh, I did back in high school. Um, but uh, one of his things is, like, when you're doing martial arts, you want to move like water. You want to move like bamboo. Because when you are a stick and you're rigid uh, and you're banked even a little, then you'll break or you'll uh, you'll splinter. But the bamboo, you'll be able to push that. You'll be able to push that uh, in any direction, the same way that you would a stick, and it wouldn't break. Um, same thing with the water. You want to be able to flow through the through the fight as water, instead of being uh, so rigid. What you what you need to do, like you don't want to come into the fight saying right hook, then left jab, then right kick you want to be able to adjust and adapt and I think that's what they're trying to portray here in Kiyafuru very much so I also didn't realize Cowboy Bebop stole that from that yeah <laughs> Spike Spiegel did, uh, delivered that in like uh, something on Venus yeah I remember that episode yeah. I don't remember what it was called but you're googling now I am I will know very soon. That is what editing is for. Waltz for Venus. There you go. I don't know if that's the one. I think it is. Well, uh, whatever. <laughs> Some anime related, not related to this one, except in by proxy via Bruce Lee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Alright, we already touched a big on the last episode with Kanagai and her um, 
her aspirations to be a reader. But there is which which I actually have to apologize to anyone who's read at least one of my reviews or posts or whatever about Furu across the years. And I remembered uh, stating that Kanade needs to be a queen to be a reader, and uh, she only needs to be class A, which makes a lot more sense. <laughs> only uh, class A. Only class A. I mean, she still freaks out about it, which is awesome and cute, yeah. and she is the best character in the series. Um, anyway, <laughs> but no, she only needs to be class A, and I just wanted to say I recognize that I was wrong, and I'm sorry. He will edit that later, after the 40 lashes he will give himself. Um, where was I going with this? Oh. Uh, talked a little bit earlier about Kanage wanting to be a reader, but um, Taichi is also growing in this. Throughout the series, he has had this inferiority complex, but now he realizes that he has to actively do something to overcome it. Uh, in a couple of episodes back, Nishiga says Karuta isn't just a mental sport. You can't just memorize every card, every placement, um, and win the game. You also need to know where the cards are in relation to your hand. You don't do practice wings because it's embarrassing, but you need to do that so you can have that muscle memory. So in this final episode, you finally see Taichi doing some practice swings and taking this uh, tangible initiative to be better at Karuta, rather than just say every single one of the hunger poems without overlapping from memory. <laughs> no, but that that is a very important moment, and I love it. Uh, I love it like hell, especially because you get everything without a single bit of dialogue. It's just him, you know, swiping and swiping and swiping and swiping, and finally someone, you know, starts to think or say something. But the viewers know way before that dialogue is ever spoke, you know, what he's doing and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Do you have questions from Taiku Podcast listeners? Uh, Woo, you have listeners. I know. It's so weird. I don't usually interact with them in a direct sense like this. What? I don't. Well, at least not in relation to the podcast. Uh, so from C. Thelis, why is Chihai Furu literally the best thing ever? Why don't more people like Chihai Furu? Why? <laughs> Just say that last part again. Why? That's not how you said it. I don't know how I said it the first time. <laughs> I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so why? <laughs> um, I don't know of anyone who doesn't like Chihayafuru unless they are named Tony. To be fair, Tony has not yet watched this. Yeah. He said he would watch it. He watched, like... Five episodes with me, and he's like, "Yeah, that was pretty good." And then he never watched more. Which goes to show you that it's not for everyone. It is a sports anime. It's it's it very much comes across uh, as you know a sports anime, despite being centered around a competitive game. Um, it's so niche. It's not like you can like baseball. So let's watch some baseball anime. Like we can literally. Have never heard of Karuta, 
and been fine with our lives. Honestly, this is how I learned of Karta and how I became obsessed with the fact that there's a, a game that revolves around poetry. And I was like, this is awesome. And I know people who, uh, the, the, the editor in chief of Anagamers actually, uh, made a, English version of Karta, not a translated version of the poems, but you know, a, 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 a version of Karta where you use uh, English poetry uh, as mm. the poems, and did that. I've seen people in the UK actually memorize these poems in English and use that uh, as the game. Again, uh, I think uh, an Anagamer contributor, Elliot Page, was involved in that, um, but. Like I've seen this spawn a lot of uh, interest in the game itself, which is awesome because really it's just inspiring um, investment in poetry, and I am for that a thousand times over. <laughs> yes, um, this is spurring an interest in poetry in me that I never thought would exist. But yeah, I completely forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> That's all right. I don't know why more people don't like Shihai Furu, but the ones that do tweeted us, and we'll talk about it with you. Uh, next question from Aya Kaya. Team Arata or Team Taichi? Or forget the boys and Team Shihai instead. A, a little a little elaboration might be involved, in, uh, might be necessary for this. There's a, a, a love triangle between I mean, we've touched upon it, but uh, Taichi, uh, Chihaya, and Wataya. Um, and obviously everyone sort of concentrates on who's the one true pair there. Of course. Uh, so, but there are other characters. And there's also singular characters. Right. So what do you think, Corey? Uh, I am full-on Team Taichi. And I think we have discussed this before, and you are full-on Team Arta. We are, but why don't we describe why we are? Uh, shall I go first or shall you? Shall you? You can go ahead. All right. Actually, I've changed my position somewhat. Okay. Uh, I'll explain. I am Team Taichi because Taichi is the guy that is always actually there for Kihaya. Um, but not just that, but also uh, Agatha... In even in Chihaya's mind and Chihaya's words, he is the Karotagog. He is someone that she aspires to be, not someone that she wants to be with. Uh, which is my main reason for being Team Taichi. Also, Taichi is uh, voiced by Mamaro Miyano, who is the best guy ever. <laughs> but Team Arta, make your argument. Okay, so initially I was Team Arata uh, because he is the one who inspires the passion and that, that sort of enables Chihaya to, um, to sort of recognize herself and become whatever she wants to be, um, which is unfortunately just sort of a shadow of uh, Arata if you really look at it. But really, and more to Ayakai's uh, sort of divergence there what about just Chihaya I'm all for that because Taichi represents the friends and Arata represents Karuta 
Chihaya is obsessed with Karuta, and that is it. Like, she is the game. She is the want to be the best. She is the want for poetry and um, achievement and everything that, you know, coalesces therein. And that's where I kind of stand. She is this fully independent uh, character who is just sort of striving towards her own goals and is not to be bothered with the trifles of something as silly as who is the one true pair because she is her own true pair. So true. So true. <laughs> her own true pair. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to drag it down somehow. <laughs> um. Please edit that out. <laughs> I will not. Oh, damn. Uh, how do you disapprove that Chihaya... Oh, wait. From... Hey Jude Vio, how do you disapprove that Chihaya Taichi or Shinobu Arata is the one you're bearing? How do you disapprove that Chihaya Taichi? Um, well, if I were to make an argument against Chihaya Taichi, it's the fact that while Taichi, is, as, as Corey has pointed out, is a grand supporter um, and friend and teacher and pusher um of Chihaya, which is obviously everything really uh, a, a lover should be. Um, and he does admit to his feelings early on in the show. Um, it's not what she wants, and she is the focal character. So what he wants is, by definition, irrelevant um, if you want to consider her the stronger character. And she is, because she is rounder, she is improving more, she is taking more into consideration, because she knows both Tai Chi and Arata. Now, if uh, you want to make an argument against Shinobu and Arata as the one true pair, that's a little more tricky, because, oh man, both both are obsessed with Karata, the point of life involvement, like that. That competition, that is them. Like, sincerely, they embody the sport because of uh, certain life aspects that become apparent when you watch the show. And honestly, some of the backstory behind uh, the Queen uh, Shinobu and Arata with his grandfather are some of the most touching, devastating of the series. Um, just for their relevance to how people can ignore their own children <laughs> and sort of pose their own values on them to the point where they just, yeah. Um, I, I would honestly argue for Shinobu Arata being the one true pair of selfishness. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that sense. And I don't think that's one you want to worship, and I don't think that's what the OTP really stands for, so that's my argument against no, them. No, certainly not. I don't think there really is a one crew pairing in Chihaya Furu, but if I was given the option of Chihaya Taichi or Chihaya Arata, then I would choose Chihaya Taichi. Um, however, I don't think that kind of thing is on any of their minds, except for Taichi's mind. <laughs> And he knows that Chihaya has other things on her mind and one that force that 
those kind of thoughts upon her without her will. But there's so many cute moments with her, like, being so comfortable and leaning her head on his, like, shoulder, like, while he's asleep. And just not, not not the traditional falling asleep on the train, although there's, there's that, too. But, like, just sort of, like, the, I don't even know what to call it, just, like, a headbutt of love. You know, that, that tender, just, connection of head to shoulder while he's sleeping or something like that. And... Just so many wonderful, lovely moments like that. Just shows how close and intimate they are. That drives fan speculation, but like, it's just such an intimate, lovely, close thing. It's wonderful. She doesn't have any of that with Arata. She just has passion with him. I agree. All right. Uh, from JR and Jam Jam, what is the effect of music on the show? Um, so I'm very bad at remembering music in shows. But I have a sort of Pavlovian response to the music by now that I kind of tear up. What makes you tear up? Uh, you know the main the main theme that goes like, oh, I can't do it. Like, <laughs> well, my voice do it. my voice is too low. It would sound weird. Do it. Do it. Uh, goes like do 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 do. But uh, you know. That Not one. so familiar. But but that's actually the point I'd make was there was no real memorable anthem. Um, and I was thinking about this when I saw the the, the question roll across Twitter. Um, like in, in Full Metal Alchemist, the 2003 version, there's a speci- there's at least a, two specific themes, and they're very emotionally pulling. Um, and when I watched this, when I watched Chihai Furu the second time through, at least the first season, the, um, the fact that the, the, the backing music was varied enough to not seem repetitious seemed really interesting to me. Um, because it wasn't relying on emotion pulling, uh, remembrance. It was more, uh, orchestration and individual instrumentation. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of strings, but there's a lot of horns and keys as well, um, and each is used uh, in certain situations for great effect. But it's not the all of the scene. It's enough to pull the viewer in, but not be rememberable, but still complement the actions and the feelings that are trying to be expressed. And it was a really good backing. OST, and at the same time, not something I'd really need to listen to on a CD, because it wouldn't mean a damn thing without the rest of the show. But it is complimentary, and it is highly so. Alright, so uh, you're saying you can hear this and not become immediately emotional? With... Oh, shut up! (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, okay, I I don't. Um... (laughs) The the only thing that really still gets me is uh, 99 Radio Services uh, Youthful, which serves as the OP. That first opening uh, is really right good. Oh, it really is. Even Star is good, but it's not as good as Youthful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Youthful, which actually serves to represent you know, all of what Season 1 is, uh, it's all these youths growing and defining themselves, Um it's, it's a wonderful song, very touching, especially when you listen to the entire version and all three versions of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but that the sort of breakdown in the end when just everything cuts away and it's just the lead singer who sounds very feminine, uh, but he is male, um, and just him over a light strumming guitar, um, breaking everything down. It's, it's really touching and really effective. Uh, that still gets to me, but most of the score for this series, it's nice, but it really needs the series to be effective. Yeah, I agree. Uh, most of the time, I think I do. I do have the soundtrack. I think, but when I ever, whenever I listen to that, I think back to moments in the series instead of just being overcome by emotion just from the music. Save the the song that I played. Which goes how? Uh, it goes do 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 do. Man, you're awful. <laughs> da, 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 da. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, Alright, also from Caring Jam Jam, Season 1 versus Season 2. There was talk when Season 2 was airing that it was more character-focused than Season 1 was, which was spoken in a negative light. Uh, I don't know how much you remember about Season 2, but I don't know if I remember enough to properly compare them. What was the question again? Season 1 versus Season 2. Because Season 2 was purportedly more Kagurta-focused. It was. And I actually uh, wrote a lot about this, because Anna Gamers was doing uh, episode reviews at the time. Mm-hmm. At the time. And uh, one of the shows that happened to be airing while we did this was the second season of Shihai Furu. And I loved, I loved picking the second season apart, because... What second, the second season did was really focus on team play as opposed to the first season, which focused on the forming of a team, which of course consists of focusing on individual members becoming a team. Right. So it's focusing on, you know, individual play. And the second season was just so wonderfully, it was so wonderfully focused on how team members affect each other during team play. That's what I loved about it. It's 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 a shift in focus without really being a shift in focus. Yeah. Because the first the first season's big match is the match against Hokuo when uh the team is just coming together. They are trying to find their personal strengths. It comes down to Chihaya against uh Sugo, who is the Hokuo ace which is very much their individual strength versus their individual strength. But in the second season, the main match is the Fujisaki match, where uh, it's focused on the team members um, pushing each other to be better, to be better, even though this is five individual character matches going on. The last question from Karen Jam Jam. This is a good way to uh, end out the podcast why does after all these years the fandom still hold the show in high regard ink what do you think oh man it's got good emotionally rounded characters that take a long time to develop that let viewers develop with them i think is really the core of the series and i think that fosters an attachment that you know or it fosters an attachment to the characters that seldom anime does. So having this highly 
competitive or the this this anime which it has a highly competitive focus and lets you sort of put yourself into these characters who continually excel and exceed with and um, with and by each other I think that's that's an important thing I think that's really endearing mm-hmm. I mean as we've been saying um, the greatest moments of these series the moments that like, still get me very emotional are the ones that uh, deal with the character drama the ones like the scrapbook moment or uh, like Chihaya's birthday and they have the cake or any other multitude of moments it is uh, never the outcome of the Carterton matches it is how they feel after them it's from, uh, there's another very late question, almost at the end of our podcast, from uh, Hey Judvo. Uh, am I the only one who thinks the artwork for Arata and Shinobu is the same? I don't know if I've ever looked very closely in their faces. Where else were you staring, Corey? Their hair. <laughs> Which is very distinctly different. And usually that's, is. that's a lot of the times the only way I can tell anime characters separating. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are all black and angular. I know. Especially when it's... Although every, every <laughs> anime character's hair is sort of angular. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of like the question just because it's it's setting up a parallel for you know Chihaya and Arata and Arata and Shinobu mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know quite where to take that yet that's a new angle for me perhaps for the next podcast mm. we'll have to prepare uh, for now any closing thoughts on Chihaya Furu? Thank you, thank you, Sentai Filmworks, for licensing this for him, for home uh, video distribution. We love we, you. You heard us. We love you. Yes. <laughs> uh, Blu-ray, uh, special edition, art book, uh, commentary. Carter to cars. Uh, Carter to cars. Wonderful things. Um, I'm sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. My question to you: If there's Dakimakura, what? Who would you have on it? Yeah. yeah. And, like, how? Uh, in a hakama, in not a ridiculously sexist way. Mine I've already posted Twitter. I I would totally have a a Karutu card. The Furafuda side on one end, or one side, and the Yomafuda side on one end. And for those who don't know, it's the uh, reading and entire poem side, respectively, I think, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of uh, card to card. Uh, which card would you have, though? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'll have to get back to you on that. All right, next podcast. Uh, until then, where can we find you on the Internet? You can find me at uh, anagamers.com, where I am the contributing editor um, I also produced the three episode, episode test column. I formerly ran or produced the Drunken Otaku column. I uh, edit things. I write for 
Otaku USA, Otaku USA magazine, uh, where you can basically only find uh, reviews, um, you know, in your hands on paper. It's not available on the internet. So go to otakusa.com, otakusamagazine.com, and uh, you know, subscribe so you can see these wonderful thoughts from wonderful, magnificent writers. Uh, far better than myself, but also including myself. Uh, yeah, and I've actually also started on Anagamers a new podcast called Otaku No Radio, which features myself and uh, Anagamers contributor Jared Nelson. Uh, it's a fantastic long-form podcast where we sort of delve deep into one anime per month to sort of dissect it, like we did here. Uh, and where are you on Twitter? Oh yeah, I, I babble. <laughs> I babble consistently and a lot and probably way too much on uh, Twitter at uh, at, anic- uh, at animated ink. <laughs> All right, and I am on Twitter at impassionate k. The podcast is on Twitter at taiku podcast d a i i k u. Uh, we are on Tumblr at TaikuPodcast.tumblr.com, and our website is TaikuPodcast.com. Thank you, Inc., for coming on the show, talking about Chihaya Furu. We'll have, you, we'll have you back on next month for the second half. Uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you very much for having me. Yuku atenai machi, hitori saki wo aruku. Yuhi ni terasaleta, ushinai so. Na kokono kawaate yuku nante omoi mo shinakata Musical interlude Oh fuck this is being recorded <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that at the end <laughs>